Hi everyone, Julie from Hepzibah Talks A Lot, and today we are going to be talking more about some of my favorite Bible people and parts of their lives that I just find really fascinating when I read the Bible. So uh, the last podcast I talked about uh, three different women in the Bible, so today I'm going to try to focus just on the men. (laughs) Um, And one of the, I had mentioned in one of my other podcasts that I can really relate to Peter because he just, he's so human. I just love it. He's, he does some amazing things in his faith in God. And then he just turns around and acts really human, which we can all, we all do. I'm just going to say, um, we can have these great moments of amazing faith and then turn around and like totally freak out over something that isn't even remotely major. (laughs) That's just the way we are. Um, but one of my favorite, um, moments in Peter's life is not walking on the water. Although, although I find that just totally amazing. The fact that he got out of the boat with these huge waves and walked on the water to Jesus being a sailor and knowing you can't walk on water. I mean, we all know that, but you know, you're a sailor, you're not necessarily afraid of the water, but you have a deep respect for it. So for him to be able to do that is just amazing in and of itself. The fact that he sank, once again, our humanity, right? Peter is just a perfect example of being a human being, living for Christ with everything you've got, right? So um, the one I like to talk about is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Peter does something, as I mentioned, very human, something that all of us tend to do. And that is he went back to the familiar. And I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, but that's just the way God revealed it to me. So essentially what happens is they know Jesus rose again. They know it's already, you know, Mary's already spread the word. He and John already went to the tomb and looked. They talked to the angel, all of that. They already know. But what Peter does is he tells the other disciples, yo guys, I'm going fishing. Who's going with me? Now remember that they were fishermen when God called them, most of them, some were tax collectors and that kind of thing. But Peter was a fisherman and he's like, yo guys, I'm just, I'm going back to being a fisherman. That's, that's just my lot. You know, it's just going to happen. And so he takes a few of the disciples with him. And, and I mean, you guys got to consider the amazing forgiveness of these disciples because Peter is the one that denied Christ three times at which Jesus told him at the last supper, you will deny me three times. Right. Um, and Jesus had to specifically name Peter, go tell the disciples and Peter, because he knows how we are, right? We get so self-righteous. It's amazing. So, um, so all he goes with all his, his friends or his friends. Now they, they traveled with Jesus for three years. Sure. They got to know each other very well and they're in a boat and they're fishing all night. And when we try to go back to the familiar, it's never the same. When we decide that Christianity not necessarily doesn't have anything for us, but that we want to take it a different direction or, you know what, God, I don't feel like I really should have done this ministry. I'm just going to go back to just, you know, sitting in church um, and not participating. And then if something comes up that I feel like doing, I'll do it kind of thing. And it never works out. You're never, you're never happy. You're, you're always miserable. Trust me. 
So this is what happened. They're out there on the boat all night long and they do not catch one single fish. And this is impressive because they're fishermen who have made it their life to catch fish. And if they weren't good at it, they would not have made it their lifestyle, right? Or their livelihood. But yet they did not catch one single fish. And so they're sitting there and they're trying to figure out um, what they're going to do now because there's no fish, right? And so they end up um, seeing a guy standing on the shore, seeing a man standing on the shore. And this man calls out to them and says, hey guys, have you caught anything? And they're like, nope, we haven't caught anything. And he says, well, how about you cast your net on the other side? <laughs> okay. So fishermen are very, or were, I don't know if they still are, superstitious. They just, you know, they, okay, so think of like a basketball player that doesn't wash his jersey. Because after that one game where he scored five winning baskets or five point, huge point scoring baskets. And so he's just like, I'm not going to wash my jersey. Because after that game, I've, I've kept this streak up and I believe it's because I didn't wash my jersey. Okay, that's kind of the kind of stuff that goes on. It's not like a, it's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, so that's essentially what they did. They um, always cast their net on the same side of the boat. Always. They never deviated from that. If they were going to fish, they were going to fish out of the right side of the boat. End of story. You never cast your net off another side because that's when the storms come right? That kind of thing. So, um, Jesus tells them from the shore, they don't know it's Jesus yet, calls out to them from the shore and says, try casting it on the other side. So how long did Jesus stand there and watch them return to the familiar and get frustrated and disappointed and discouraged because they weren't, the familiar wasn't going to work, right? Their old way was not going to work. So, What's amazing is how much Jesus obviously changed these men. I mean, we know that already, but they don't hesitate. This stranger tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, and they don't hesitate. They cast their net on the other side of the boat. And they catch so many fish that the net is breaking. Like, they can't even haul it in. And if you know, once again, about fishermen, it's just like, We'll go back to basketball players. They don't wear their court shoes out on the street, right? Because they need, first of all, it damages the court to bring in those little rocks and dirt and all that stuff that comes in off the street. And they know this, and they know that their court, their basketball court, wherever they play, has to be top of the line because it can cause an injury or it can cause them to not play their best if the court has any grooves or pock marks or anything like that. So out of respect for each other, themselves, and the game, Basketball players will not wear their court shoes out on the street. They put them on when they get to the gym and they take them off when they leave. So that is taking care of what you need for your livelihood, right? So it's the same thing with the fishermen. They would never let their nets be in disrepair because if there was a hole in the net or the net ripped, they would not be able to catch their fish. So they always took care of their nets. That meant that at the end of a fishing day, they would stand there and gather in all the nets, check over all the nets, clean the nets, 
fold the nets, and have them ready for the next day. It just makes sense. So the fact that their net was tearing, I should tell you that's a lot of fish, right? Because they've obviously taken good care of their fishing nets. So after all of that, when they're hauling this, trying to haul this huge amount of fish in, John looks at Peter and says, it's the Lord. Like, you know, he totally gets it. Because John had this special intimacy with Christ. He's the version of Christians when they pass the I love God to I'm in love with God relationship with Jesus Christ. It's when you get that discernment that isn't just the spirit of discernment because God will give us that. But it's a deeper intimate discernment that you can call out things that other people are like, are you serious? It's like, yes, it's the Lord. So after John says it's the Lord... Peter doesn't hesitate and he leaps from the boat. That is the second time that Peter left the boat to get to Jesus, which I just find amazing. He leaps from the boat and swims to shore while the other guys haul in the catch and then row the boat to shore. There's a time when Peter is at the shore with Jesus alone and he doesn't divulge what happened during that time with him with Christ he and Jesus had a deep deep conversation and we only get to see the end of it when the other disciples show up and record the do you love me three times and the frustration of Peter going yes I love you Lord and you have to look at the original language because he uses the word agape, agape twice, and then he uses phileo or the other one, which I can't think of the name of, because there's three different ones, I believe, and I can't think of the other. Phileo popped in my head. I don't think that's the one he used, but, and I don't think I'm pronouncing it right either, but if you do research on that, you realize that he's asking Peter twice if he loves Jesus the way that Jesus loves us, and how many of us can honestly say that we do? So we're like, Peter, oh yeah, God, I agape you. I totally agape you. I love you just like you love me. Is that true? No. Jesus' love is way deeper, and it's not a failing on our part, and it isn't a judgment on our part that we don't, we don't agape, that we don't have that depth yet. And then, after that, Jesus asks him if he loves him like we recognize love as human beings. And Peter is like, of course I do, <laughs> okay? So, and every time Jesus says, feed my sheep, which means don't go back to being a fisherman. Don't go back to the familiar. Do what I've called you to do. I've called you to be a fisher of men. I've called you to be a leader in the church. That's what Peter essentially became. And he still had to deal with this stuff. He still had to be rebuked by Paul. He still had to deal with correction. None of us are perfect. But the reason that story just appeals to me so much is because we can all relate to that. And we all need to have that intimate moment with Jesus. And it should be daily. And I, I admit that I'm not doing my best right now with work and all this other stuff going on. But I need to get back to that. Because if we don't have that intimate moment, the fire's not going to be lit. I mean, Jesus couldn't have stirred Peter's heart to the point that he's like, fine, God, I will do what you asked. I will be a leader of sheep instead of a fisher, right? <laughs> instead of fishing. I will leave behind the familiar. I believe God gave them that great haul to give them some money to start out as they began their journey as his disciples, well, continued as his disciples, but without his, his presence, physical, 
and his physical provision. I mean, God still is still with us. He still provides for us. So the other amazing thing, which if you read that portion of scripture, it's just it's so funny. But Jesus already had fish. When the disciples get to the shore with their haul, Jesus is already cooking fish over a fire, which I just, I love him. He's, Jesus is just amazing. He doesn't even, he provides them with such an overabundance of fish that it tears their nets, but he doesn't take any of it from them. He isn't like, okay, give me some fish to cook for you guys. He already, he already prepared fish for them. He doesn't even touch the blessing he gave them. I just, God is just amazing. So that's one of the history retellings of the Bible that I just, there's so much there. It just fascinates me. of my favorite tellings in the Bible of on the male side of it is the um, the men on the road and I can't remember the name it's an A place <laughs> I remembered it before I started this recording and now I forgot Ar Armaeus I think that's what it is and they're walking on the road and Jesus these are just random men on the road and Jesus shows up and talks to them. And he basically asks them, you know, what's, why are you feeling the way you do or what's going on essentially? And, and they tell him, well, you know, Jesus, the one that we thought was the Christ was crucified. And, and Jesus just talks back, with the, back and forth with them. And it doesn't tell us their entire conversation. It talks about how Jesus communicated with them about God's word. So he spoke God's word to them. And so they were just, you know, chatting it up with Jesus on the road. And then uh, they realized who he was and he vanished. Or he vanished and then they realized. can't remember right off the top of my head. And they looked at each other and said, could that have been him? You know, they realized it was Jesus. And then they say, well, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke? And then they, of course, start spreading the news that Jesus is alive. Um, so what's interesting on this is once again, um, just like in the case of the Samaritan woman, Jesus does not feel it relevant to tell us who these people are, what their names are. He doesn't tell us really anything. They're just men on the road. And Jesus still takes the time out to go and walk along with these men and talk to them. And that makes me think about us before we fully commit to Christ or before we fully surrender that that's what he does um, in the form of Holy Spirit mainly but walking along with us in our life and convicting us and talking to us about our choices and where we currently are and we eventually choose to accept salvation and repent of our sins or to just continue doing what we do and going on our merry way. Um, so the other part about that is the burning, then our hearts burn within us. And I think that that is, is something that Christians can fully relate to in, in many, many, many different capacities. I'm only going to talk about a few of them. One of which would be when the truth is spoken and you know it's godly truth. It's got a different 
strength to it, a different tone. And it locks itself into your heart to the point that you don't deny it at all. And like, it's never questionable to you again. Um, For instance, uh, Terry Law came to our church one day and was talking about his experiences bringing the word of God to very dangerous places. But also at one point he was talking about um, when we stand before God. And, you know, we've all had in our lives this image of us standing before God and there being a huge screen in front of us showing us all our sins and all our failures and everything we did wrong. And we just got to look at that and stand there. And I've heard people say, you know, well, it says he wipes every tear from your eye. So that's when you're going to be crying is when he shows you all the ways you failed, right? And he, Terry Law said this amazing truth, and I'm not going to be able to say it the way he did. But he said, why would Jesus and God, at the end of the journey, when we've finished the race, and we've heard, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in, you know, come home, you're home. Why would Jesus suddenly say, now let me just show you how horrible of a person you were in life, right? When he doesn't even do that to us now. When it's completely justified that he could be like, so yeah, you're coming to me again, repenting of the same sin that you just did yesterday. And we all know you're going to do again tomorrow, right? And he doesn't do that. God deals with us in the very moment we're in and doesn't bring our past up. Anytime your past comes back in a condemning, accusatory way, it's the enemy. Anytime. And anytime you're trying to move forward and you're convinced by some voice that you could never improve and never be better than you currently are and never overcome this sin or this habit. That's the devil. So why would we assume that after we've run this race and we've lived this life that God would suddenly change how he reacts to us and interacts with us to show us our sins blazingly displayed on a screen for us to recall as we're standing in his presence in heaven. Not likely. Now there is a great white throne judgment where all the ripples of our actions are finally subsided and we get to see the end results. But that is for those who have rejected Christ. So we've already been accepted and we've already been brought into his kingdom. I don't pretend to be an authority on anything. (laughs) But that is one of the truths that was spoken and burned into my soul. And I have no trepidation or worry for that day when I stand before Jesus. Because he's my savior and he loves me. And is the way he deals with me today is not going to be different than how he deals with me that day. He's not suddenly going to want to make me feel bad for all the things I did or didn't do in my life. So the men on the road they experienced that in that walk with Jesus where what he spoke burned into their hearts to the point that there was no denying who was a speaker. The power and authority that Jesus possesses is very evident in that verse because who but he could speak God's word with such casual passion for lack of a better expression and let it burn and sear the heart of the listener. 
Only Jesus can. Because he is the only one capable of that level of power. Now we can speak God's word and it can burn the heart, but it isn't us burning it into the heart. It isn't us bringing the conviction. It's Holy Spirit, which is part of the Holy Trinity. Once again, only Jesus. So I admire not only that Jesus once again shows us the value of nameless people in his walk and life and purpose and plan, but also that you could be nameless and still be pivotal in the changing of lives. Because what would ultimately happen is these men spread like wildfire, along with others, the truth that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead and was no longer in the tomb. Jesus needed many people to do that. So the word would spread quickly. Of course, there's also the part in the book of John where he wraps up his book by saying that God did many, many more things. Well, Jesus did many, many more things between his resurrection and his ascension. And even now. And if it was all written down, if it was all recorded, that the world could not contain the books. There would be way too many. And if you think about that, you think about this randomly recorded interaction of these men that are nameless and how they remained nameless, yet had this pivotal interaction with Christ, how many others did Jesus visit in the same capacity that were never named? And in addition, how many people do have these kind of interactions today and in all the years before and in all the years to come with Jesus? And could the world truly contain the books that could be written if every single person that had a personal interaction with Jesus Christ wrote a book. There is no way. So, just so much to think about, just from that little portion of scripture, about two men going about their daily business and having a life-altering interaction with Jesus Christ. Yay! So, the next one I want to talk about is... Abraham and the reason that Abraham's life speaks to me so much is because he's listed in the faith chapter of Hebrews and for me I couldn't understand for the longest time why he would be mentioned with such glowing reviews about having such amazing faith and I think Abraham is even considered the father of our faith which just blows the mind. Now, we know Abraham willingly followed God into new and foreign lands. And Abraham, just like all of us, is human and is going to make decisions and choices that are going to reflect poorly on him because, as I said, he's human. So, no surprise there. But what used to get to me, though, was how they kept saying, through faith, Abraham did this. Through faith, Abraham did that. And in my mind, I'm sitting there saying, Abraham did not have faith. <laughs> When you looked at the fact that God told him he'd be a father and Abraham didn't believe him and his wife didn't believe God either. And then, um, then God insisted, you know, you're going to be the father of many nations and through your seed, I will create my chosen people. 
and Abraham still didn't believe. And then ultimately Abraham and Sarah get this brilliant idea to like bring about God's will their way. <laughs> right. And so that's what led to Ishmael, which has actually led to people that have persecuted the Jewish people for centuries. So yeah. And I could never understand. It was one of the biggest struggles for me because I would read Hebrews and I'd be like, he did not have faith, God. And I would get really, really bugged. And so it wasn't until much, much later in life when I was spiritually mature to the place that God could point it out to me um, that God doesn't look at our failures. He looks at the final result. So did um, Abraham and Sarah have a son yes they did Isaac and did he uh, lead was he the father of God's chosen people yes and did Abraham exhibit amazing faith when God tested him on the mountain with his son yes so all you have to know is that the story of Ab the, the telling of Abraham's life and especially this one area that did lead, there were consequences. You have to look at it from the perspective and understand God's promises. So God promised that Abraham's descendants would be too numerous to count and that they would be greater than the number of sands on the shore. Well, this is true through both Isaac and Ishmael. God has kept his word see so when um hagar fled with ishmael that's why god didn't let her flee or just let them die because ishmael was part of god's promise through the act of abraham on his own but through the life of abraham we learn that we can be just like with peter we can be very human and still be considered an awesome person of faith and I think that that is an amazing truth that we need to hold on to when we read about Abraham and Sarah and we read about this little moment when they chose to bring about God's will their way and their timing there's lessons there for us to learn and through it all if we stay faithful to God and keep our faith in God which Abraham did they made a, a bad decision, but it didn't limit or change the fact that they did believe God and they did have faith in him. It didn't change very much there. So if we do that, then God will keep his word. We're the only ones that failed to keep our word. And Abraham and his, his life shows us that very clearly. So the final person I'm going to talk about really briefly, just like I talked about Abraham briefly, is David. And I actually wasn't going to talk about anyone else, but when I was talking about Abraham and the lesson we learned through his life about our faith, I thought about David and the lesson we can learn from his life about how much God loves us. When you consider David, I mean, David's exceptional. He's an amazing person, but he was human. As we all know, with his encounter with Bathsheba, his ultimate sin with Bathsheba, his desire to hide said sin with Bathsheba and failing to do so, 
and then his calculated murder of Bathsheba's husband and then his whole plan to look like he was this great um, tender-hearted person bringing in the wife of his dead mighty man one of Uriah yet despite all that David did and he was called out on it and he repented which is the big thing to remember there Despite all he did, he was still called a man after God's own heart. Now, many people would like to think that that was put in there before, you know, and then they're like, oh, crud, look at all the stuff he did. But no, God knew what he was saying when he said that. David was a worshiper, and David was a person that loved God, and he made a horrible decision that haunted him for a really long time. One of the consequences of his choice was the death of his and Bathsheba's son that was born or created through adultery. David shows us clearly how our relationship with God needs to be our priority and that in the midst of our failings we don't hide our face or run away. So David had worked out in his mind that what he did with Bathsheba was actually okay which we all do right we all manage to make our sin sound okay however we decide to justify our sinful choices. So David was no exception. Despite his exceptional character before this event, he definitely chose to do something very poorly in that moment and attempted to hide his sin from the world. I don't think he was attempting to hide it from God. In fact, I don't even think he really thought of it, of God as bringing any form of judgment against him for these actions. But judgment did come, as I said, in the death of his son. Well, their son. What's amazing about it all is when God sends Samuel to go and tell David that he was a sinner and that what he had done was horribly wrong, using the illustration of the man having a sheep of his own or having tons of sheep of his own and stealing the precious ewe lamb from his neighbor and killing that lamb to feed a guest in his house. And then pointing out that David, after David handed down the sentencing to that act, was the man. What kind of boldness did it take from Samuel, thinking of that, to go before the king and speak those words? It's pretty intense. So the thing to remember, though, is once David realized the fullness of his sin, he immediately repented. When his, the child of him and Bathsheba fell ill, David immediately spent his time in sackcloth and ashes and prayer, fasting, attempting to have God spare the life of their child. However, it was not to be, and God called that child home. Once that happened, David dusted himself off and proceeded to rule the kingdom and love Bathsheba as his wife. People were surprised by this, and told David, why would you be in mourning when your son lived and now that he is dead, you're not in mourning? And he said the very same thing, that he sought to have the penalty, the consequence of his actions lifted. But since God opted not to do that, then that's the way that God worked and David would just go forward serving God. David continued to serve God all his days. And of course, we all know that from David came Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived. And honestly, let's take a second, even though we're talking about David, and talk about Solomon briefly, 
Because who here has ever had God go to them and say, what do you want? Whatever it is, I'll give it to you. Now, why would God not come to us? Because we were not of the same heart as Solomon. Think about that. God went to Solomon and offered him riches beyond compare, whatever he wanted, power. The God of all creation offered Solomon, I'm sorry, just, I should blow your mind. We just read it and we're like, oh yeah. And he offered him whatever he wanted, whatever he wanted. This is God who could literally do it. No matter what Solomon asked for, God would give it to him. That blows my mind. God wouldn't do that for me. God is very gracious with me and blesses me, but he wouldn't. He knows better than to ask me what I want <laughs> in that regard and promise to give it to me. Let me put it that way. So out of that conversation, Solomon, all Solomon wanted to do, which was actually the true intent of his heart. It wasn't a lie and it wasn't an attempt to get God to jump through a hoop based on manipulation. God cannot be manipulated. He knows our heart, right? So Solomon says, I just want to rule your people wisely. And God says, since you didn't ask for fame and riches, I will give you wisdom, fame and riches. Our God is an awesome God. And I think that we can, can see that just in the lives of the few people I've talked about in the podcast before this one and this podcast, because honestly, just think about the interactions he has had with people that I've talked about and how pivotal their lives have been. And of course, as we all know, David is the lineage of Jesus Christ. So it's just an amazing thing to think about. And I hope that I talked about some things in these last couple podcasts that you hadn't given thought to and that it inspires you to look deeper in the word of God and maybe find some stories of your own. I don't like to call them stories. It just comes out because that's how we're raised, right? Bible stories, yeah. You can find some biblical history of your own that you would like to share with me. I would love to hear them. I am on the Anchor app. So if you connect with me on there, I'd probably see your messages more so than iTunes and all the other places where this podcast is shared. But if you would like to message me, you can definitely do so at my email, which is purity.gods.way at gmail.com. And I will definitely look forward to hearing and maybe even sharing what you comment on. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.